Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. God's good. All the time and all the time, God's you know, sometimes we get, we get these moments in our life where we just don't believe that. We have a hard time thinking that because we all go through struggles and trials in our life. And when we get to those things, those things seem to seem bigger than our God. But I'm telling you now that even though you're going through a trial, even though you're going through suffering or pain, God's still there and he's still good because we know deep in our knower that he's good. Even when things are hard, we know God's still good. God's still there. God's still with me, even in my pain, even in my suffering, even where I'm going, God's still there. He promises that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He never promised us an easy life. He never promised us smooth, easy days, but he did promise that he will be with us through those days. And that's what makes him good. He doesn't leave, he's a good father. He's a good dad. He loves us. So, Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for Father's Day. Lord, as we celebrate dads, God, we celebrate you, the Heavenly Father who loves us in such a deep way that we can understand so much better than our earthly fathers. Our earthly fathers are full. God, they're, they're just messed up, but you're not. God, you are good. We're full of faults. We fail in many ways, but Lord, you never fail. God, you never fail. You're the perfect father. And we thank you for that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And I pray that, Lord, as we continue this service, that you would just begin to move in people's hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you all so much for being here. Man, y'all sound phenomenal. Give yourself a hand, man. You're like, y'all sound good. Y'all sound good when you sing. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Father's Day. Dads, thank you for being here today. I'm so glad that you got up and you led your family and said, hey, I'm going to take my family to church today. That is awesome. So glad that you're here today. Hey, and if you're a guy, you don't have to be a dad. We have enough for all guys. Um, there's, some, there's some tools out there for you. There's a, some, a knife object, so you can get that and take that with you on the way out today. just want to make sure... You get that in your hands and just say thank you and just a, just a gift to say thanks for being a dad. Thanks for being uh, who God has called you to be. So I want to introduce somebody today to you. Are you ready, sir? Um, now, if you don't know who Mike Martin is, Mike Martin has been uh, helping us with our men's group uh, called Last Call every Monday at 630. He also leads our, our uh, prayer team. Um, just a, a great man of God. And ever since I've known him for the last almost year and a half, um, just we've 
we've really connected and, and God has done so much through his life and he's doing so much more and, and he's, he's even ministered to me quite a bit. And so I asked him to speak on Father's Day and, and tell us um, just kind of his story and, and pour into you. I know he's got something powerful for you today because God is powerful and he's going to speak to you and he's going to speak to you directly and I've given him permission to do that. And so I can't wait to hear what Mike has to say for us and what God wants to say through him. So please welcome Mike Martin up to the stand. I take this very serious and so right in front of you right now, I'll just humble myself before I take this platform. Before the Lord, he's good. He's been good to me. Uh, I'm not walking up here just to tell you kind words and to maybe make you to do something to manipulate you and control you, but humbly, I want to stand here and I want to share my story with you. And I want to share it to the core. The Lord has been favorable of me and he's taught me many things and I don't take this lightly. This is very, 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 this is, this is crucial in somebody's life today. And I mean very well about what I'm going to tell you. Some of this is going to hurt you. Some of you are where I have been. But today, you can be free. So, Lord, right now, I humble myself before you, Lord. I give you my voice. I give you my will. Lord, show me. Teach me. Help me, Jesus. I need you. I can't do this without you. And I love you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father's Day. Um, I'm going to start off by stepping right out here on the edge and just tell you this. You got to remember this as I'm telling you this story. Remember this. I would go through everything again. Everything that I'm going to tell you, plus a bunch that I'm going to leave out, I would go through everything again to be right here, right now, with what the Lord has done in my life. If, 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 it, if it took one thing away, if there's one thing that would be taken away and I wouldn't be here, I would go through that again. So, uh, my name is Mike Martin. I grew up in Hamilton, Texas. Um, to parents that might have been best if they didn't have children. Um, there were four of us kids. I'm the oldest of four. Life was hard. Um, I didn't know what joy was. I didn't know what peace was. Um, some of you right now will know what I'm saying when I tell you that the wolves are chasing you. Wolves chased me till I was 38. They chased me, and I began to run at a very early age. I would say at probably conception because I wasn't planned. Um, I wasn't wanted. The, my mom had a night with a different guy other than the man that raised me. Um, I was 38 when I found that out. 
that was uh, <laughs> that was a devastating blow because where I grew up, my last name meant something, and it meant that you're rotten to the core. It meant that you were a drinker, a fighter, a thief. You didn't have good character. It meant that you would mishandle everything that you ever touched. That's what my name meant. Um, so much so that once when I, I used to have a business, that's a whole other story, but a man came in to my business once and he said, I need to buy some flooring. Okay. And we began to talk. And he found out who I was. And he said, I can't do business with you. And he left the store just because of my last name. That's how powerful my last name was. But God had another plan. It wasn't my plan. He had another plan. He had a plan to change my life. But I fought it. I fought him every step of the way. It started back when I was six years old. That's the first time that I got molested by a neighbor, by a much older boy. That um, I thought he was going to kill me, literally. I thought that day I was going to die. And that didn't happen. But when I went home that day, it was in the summer. When I went home that day, a few houses up the street, you know, walked out of the house, his house, and I got on my bicycle. And the sky wasn't as blue, and the grass wasn't as green. And life changed for me forever. Forever. I began to act out at school. Nobody knew what happened. Nobody asked. I was scared to tell my parents. I was mostly afraid to tell my dad because he would probably whoop me for letting it happen. Because I knew that if you're going to fight, you better fight and you better win. And that's a fight that I couldn't win. So I didn't tell anybody. So that year in school, I ended up with my desk against the back wall, facing the wall. It's a cement block wall. And my face was against the wall, and if there was anything the teacher needed, she would be talking to the class, and then she would have to call me to turn around. That's first grade. Second grade, it took a few weeks, and I was against the wall again. Third grade, when I walked in, my desk was already against the wall because I had made a name for myself, and they knew that I just needed to be against the wall because I couldn't be disciplined. You couldn't spank me hard enough. You couldn't discipline me hard enough. You couldn't change my mind. By that time, I'd already been molested again by another neighbor. It was almost like that was written on me. By the time I was 11, it happened again. And that sealed the deal. I became a fighter. I became vicious. 
I started living up to the expectation of me, which was, this, this is absolutely what I said. If anybody wants to fight, little ones pair up, big ones bunch up. Y'all come on and get what you want because I'll take on as many of you as you want to stand in front of me. I was angry. I was full of the enemy. That's how I lived my life. I lived it hard and I lived it fast. I didn't have any resolve. I didn't have any kindness for anybody in any way. The enemy had just overpowered me. It overwhelmed me. The wolves were chasing me. And they chased me violently. In the middle of all of this, my dad's a major alcoholic. He drinks 24-7. He wakes up and drinks. He's hooked on painkillers. He's very, very mean. When you learn to fight by punching your father to keep him off of your mother, you can punch anybody. And I got between my mom and dad numerous times. Many times. And that began a very unhealthy relationship between me and my mom. I became her savior. I still am to this day. And that's not healthy. She needs her own savior and it's not me. So, I moved out of the house and got away from my dad as fast as I could. I was between 16 and 17 years old. I moved out. I moved into an apartment, shared an apartment with a guy, went to school. And I worked after school. And I've been working ever since. I was working before that, but I've been working for, to survive ever since. So, Got away from my dad. I met my wife. I was 19 years old. I met Kim. I had nothing to bring. I had nothing to offer. To this day, I don't know why she, what she saw in me. I don't know why she married me. Because I mistreated her from day one. I mishandled her from day one. I wasn't kind. I was cruel. I was hard. I took everything out on her. Everything was her fault. Everything was her fault or the kid's fault. I had no fault. I took no responsibility. I just lived life hard. I'm sorry for that. God has made good. Well, we went through life, and I started business. I started a business, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it was a good business, but it was consuming. It consumed me. I made plenty of money. We could go where we wanted and do what we wanted, but I was empty. I was, I was completely empty and void of... I would, I would hear people say, well, man, that's such a peaceful place, or that's such a 
kind person or that's, I would hear him talk about things. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that sounds, it doesn't make sense to me. Because I never experienced it. Like, if you haven't experienced peace, then you don't know what I'm talking about. If you haven't truly experienced the peace of God, if you truly haven't experienced the kindness of God, it's God's kindness that leads men to repentance. It's not his discipline. It's not his authority. It's not his thumb over the top of you. That's, that's a whole other story. My grandmother always told me that she was a believing woman, but she always told me God was going to get me. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. Well, if he's going to get me, then why do I want him? Because I've already been gotten. You already got me. I don't want to be gotten anymore. So I, I didn't sign up for that. I love my grandma, but I didn't sign up for her God. If that's the way he is, I'm out. And so I, I had no use for God. I'm running a business that's doing good under my strength, under my power, my authority. I'm calling the shots there's numerous times when people would ask me, hey, where's God in your life? And I'm like, I am God. I'm my own God. I'm making my way. I did this. You see all of this? I did all of this. This is my kingdom. This is, this is my will. This is my way. I get to say who works for me and who doesn't. I get to say where I work and where I don't. I get to say where the money goes and where it doesn't. Why would I need anybody to come along and tell me what to do in my world, in my kingdom? But he had another plan. Because it all came crumbling down. I was probably 36, 37, and life started going sideways, and the Lord was chasing me. I did not know that. I did not know what that meant. But somewhere in the Bible, it talks about the Lord chases you down to the point where he tackles you. He had to get my attention. So we signed up to get a divorce after 17 years. She didn't love me anymore, and I didn't love her. Truth is, I don't know that I ever loved her because I didn't know what love really was. We were just existing. We were coexisting in our own brokenness. She couldn't take another minute of me, and I couldn't take another minute of her. So I moved to an apartment. I moved to that apartment, and I was just going to live my life and go on my own way. I'm not going to fight. You can have what you want. You can take what you want. You can just this, this, and this. Just go, do, let's go. I just need to find something different than this. But God had another plan. In the middle of all that, I got a, I got a fold-out chair in this apartment and a little TV and plenty of beer in the fridge. And I literally tried to drink myself to death every single night because I didn't want to live another day. 
not another minute of another day. I was done. I was done. So I'm flipping through the TV, and then all of a sudden there's this guy on TV. It was T.D. Jakes. And he said something. And to this day, I can't tell you what he said. I don't have a clue, but I'm like, okay. There's just a little spark. I don't know what that is. And a good friend of mine, he started coming around. And he started driving. It was about 40 miles from his house to my apartment, and he would drive up. My apartment had a screen door, and he would knock on the door, and I'd see who it was, and what do you want? He said, I need to tell you about Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus. Let's sit down on the porch and drink. Now I ain't going to do that. But see, that's what we used to do. But he had found something. And he did that for a solid week. And I blew out that screen door the last day, and I told him, if you come back here tomorrow and you say one word about Jesus, you're going to pay. <laughs> hey, it's me. And I went to the door, and if you know this guy... He had the biggest old crocodile tears. And he said, I know what you said you're going to do to me, but Mike, I just got to tell you about Jesus. And I was like, okay. All right. You can tell me about Jesus. So he began to tell me, and I began to listen, and I didn't understand a single thing that he was saying, but he ended up conning, and it was, it was absolutely a con game. He used witchcraft to get me on a church van. <laughs> <laughs> and he got me on a white church van. Before that, we were in the parking lot, and we all had to hold hands in a circle. Lord Jesus, help me. We're holding hands and we're praying. And I just knew when we got on that van, we was going to start singing. <laughs> and that happened. And they strategically <laughs> placed me away from the door. Because <laughs> we were going from Heiko to San Antonio. And I didn't bring a sharp enough knife to cut my way out of there. I have it right here with me right now, though. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to get on a white church fan. I didn't want to sing Kumbaya, and I didn't want all those feels. I don't need all of that because when something starts touching my heart, I knew how to shut that down because here, here's the truth, and here's where some of you are today. You're scared what that's going to look like. You're afraid if you let that go you're not going to know what to do. You're afraid if you turn that loose to the Lord, which some probably don't even know what that means, but if you surrender your feelings over to the Lord, he's going to do something with them. But you're afraid because here, here's the deal. For 38 years, I had looked the same. 
I was the same me. I knew me, and I knew how to deal with me. But this other person that you're calling me to be, I don't know what he looks like. I don't trust it. So, so we get to this promise keepers, and there's, we're in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome, and if you've been there, it's huge. And so we get out of the van, and this perplexed me greatly. We get out of the van, and it's hotter than fire. And here's all of my f- new compadres running to get a seat. Running, literally, leaving me to find a seat right down there on the floor to get close to the holy man. Y'all go get close to the holy man. I'm going right up there. If you need me, you see that spot right by the daylight? That's where I'm going to be. And that's where I sat. I was, I was two steps away from freedom. I'm sitting in my seat right on the edge. There's the exit to the mezzanine. Safe. If the guy gets a little too feely, a little too emotional, a little too something, a little too churchy, I'm out of here. And I know my way to the van. So I'm sitting there. My feet are out in the aisle. I got my hat kind of pulled down. I ain't listening. I wouldn't know what he was saying anyway. And one of the biggest guys, giant, a giant black man, giant. He was across the aisle and five seats down, and I'm telling you, the guy was, he was NFL, he was NBA, he was something because he was a tree. His shoulders were this wide, his waist was like this, he had muscles on muscles, he was shaved head. He had, he had on a brown, silky shirt and nice tan pants. And he stood up in front of 30,000 men with his arms out. And he started yelling at the man that was speaking, I want that. I want that. I want that. I sat up in my chair. Then I had my first honest conversation with God. God, if you're real, I want what he wants. I don't know what that is. But if he will make a fool of himself in front of 30,000 men, that has to be good. I think it's the first time in my life that I ever asked for anything good because I didn't deserve anything good. I didn't. Nothing good could come because not much good had come. But I asked for something good and something changed in my heart. I still don't know exactly what it was, but it was something. So there's, that's, my, that's the second spark. That's the second one. T.D. Jakes was the first one. And then Damon drag, dragging me off to this deal. That's the second one. My heart began to soften up just a little bit. We're still getting a divorce. I'm still moving along. We're going to counseling. 
marriage counseling. This is the last trip. This is the last time. Divorce is going to be, it's imminent. I showed up to the last one just to make her mad because she didn't think I would come. We listened to the counselor who is a man that I love and he's a spiritual father to me. He became a very, that's more of the story, became a very powerful spiritual father to me. But I didn't know anything about it. I go to my truck. She goes to her car and I'm driving out of the church parking lot and my place is that way and her place is that way. So I turn out, she turns out behind me. And she honks. And I really said, one more dagger. She's got to say one more thing. And I walked up to the window, and I'm straddling the line on the highway. And I look in the window, and she looks at me. And she asked me, could she have a hug? That's the first time I ever saw my wife really saw her. That was the third spark. I really saw her. I could see deep. I didn't know what that meant, but I could see her deeply. And the Lord was opening my eyes, and I didn't know what that meant. He was giving me eyes to see, and I could see. At that moment, I fell in love with her. It's been over 40 years. We ain't going nowhere. That's my girl. See, the Lord makes up gaps. He fixes up things in your life if you give him room to. He, he put me on journeys. He put me in paths. He put me in places and, and open eyes. He put you here today. He put you here today. He, he, he told me about, I had to get out of business. I, I was too consumed. And, and he, he, he specifically said, as Mike, as long as you have this, I'm, you're not going to need me the way that I want to use you. So I got rid of business. And, uh, and, and I, I just wanted to start following him. But before I got out of business, here, here's a cool thing that happened. My dad... I prayed that I could have a relationship with the one that raised me. The other one I went and found when I found out about that, I found him in a mental institution. And he had drank in himself. He had, I always get that word wrong, drank in himself. He had, he had, I don't, he had so much alcohol intake that it, Messed up his mind. So, the one that raised me had an encounter with the Lord about him. And I asked the Lord, give me something to love about him. Give me one thing to love about him. And this is what he said. Mike, when he says that, that's... That's tinch up. Yes, sir. 
Mike, how many times have you said something to your wife, your kids, or other people when you're under the influence of alcohol or whatever else it might be that you wish you could take back and said, Lord, you know, many, many times, many, many things. And it hurt my heart at the moment just to think about that. And this is what he said. Well, let me just tell you. Rick is my dad's name. Rick never said, you're not my boy. You're not my son. He called me every other thing you can call. He, he mishandled me every other way that you can mishandle. But he never said, you're not my boy. I fell in love with him just like that. Because he had all the cards. I didn't even have a hand in the deck. Rick had all the cards, and he never played that one. He never said that. So I began to pray that the Lord would grow a relationship and build a relationship. And all of a sudden, he's showing up. He's driving from Hamilton to Granbury, to, to my store there in Granbury, and, and he's sweeping. He's taking out the trash. He's washing my truck. Changing the oil, fixing this and that, loading crews, just... Well, I didn't ask him to come. I didn't give him a job. But that's how he knew how to show his love. That's what my dad knew how to do. My wife started writing him a check. So now he's got a job. He's there every day. And he's got on his little old overalls. Sometimes one was unstrapped. He was redneck. I'm telling you, he was a redneck. He had on a white T-shirt that smelled like Old Spice. He wore a bandana to keep the sweat out of his eyes. And he'd shuffle around in there. And it made me happy to see him. One time I was sitting at a conference table with several men fixing to sign some contracts on some work that we were going to do and my dad rumbles through there and he's picking up the trash and he knows he's really not supposed to do that whenever I'm having a meeting but he does it anyway and he comes in and, and he walks by and he just leans over and he kissed me and he told those men this is my boy and I'm really proud of him. And it took every single bit of willpower that I had to keep myself together in front of those men. And then when they left, I told my dad, if you ever do that again. <laughs> so before business was over and I was finishing up, I did prison ministry for a number of years. I'd go into maximum security prisons and teach these men that they're loved, that they can be free. Even behind the walls, they can be free. They can be saved, they can be healed, and they can be delivered. That's what Jesus came to do. Amen. That's what he did to me. He saved me, he healed me, 
He spiritually healed me. He healed my heart. Many of you today need your heart healed. Many of you today need some deliverance in your life. Need some freedom in your life. You need to know what freedom really feels like from the Lord because that's what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come to punch my ticket to go to heaven. He came to set me free. And that he did. So I'm sitting at my desk, and here's what the Lord said. Mike, you're going into prison this weekend. Yes, sir. I talked to him like that. I respect him that way. Yes, sir, I am. And he goes, well, you can't go. Lord, why can't I go? You can't go until, until you go out and tell your dad about me. So I went outside. It's early in the morning. Dad's loading up crews and with my other warehouse guys. And I say, hey, Pops, come here. We leaned over the back of a pickup because that's what country boys do. And we're leaning over the back of a pickup. And I said, Pops, I'm going into prison this weekend. Yeah, son, I know you are, and I'm so proud of you for doing that. You're doing something that I could never do. There's no way I could do that. And I said, well, Pops, here's the deal. The Lord just told me I can't go in until I tell you about Jesus. And he said, I've been waiting for you to tell me about Jesus. So I got to share Jesus with my dad right then and there, and he accepted Christ, and it changed his life just like that. Changed him completely. My dad couldn't read. He could barely write. But he knew verses. <laughs> it was unbelievable how he changed. No more beer in his cooler. He drank Coke. His cooler was full of Coke. And he'd drink, he'd offer everybody, you want a Coke? You want a Coke? He, he changed. He changed completely. He got free. The hounds weren't chasing him anymore. He got his heart healed. He did some forgiving. He did some deep forgiving. He even called me one time from a Dollar General, and he's at the checkout in Hamilton. He's at the checkout. And I said, hey, Pops, what's up? And I hear him talking to this lady. Hold on, son, hold on. This is my son. And he believes in God. And I'm going to get him to pray for you. And I'm like, is that my dad? <laughs> and so he got on the phone. He said, hey, son, this is a grandma who's raising her two grandkids. And she has brain cancer. We just found out about that, and I want you to pray for her. Now, coming out of my dad's mouth, I'd have bet the farm I'd have never heard that. Not what we grew up in. Not what it was like in my house, but the Lord is the Lord of restoration. 
He's a Lord of completeness. He's a Lord that restores and heals and he binds brokenheartedness and he fixes. He's a fixer. And he fixed and he fixed and he fixed and he fixed. He's still fixing. He's still fixing things in my life. He's still showing me things. He's still teaching me things. He's still growing me. We all have a next step to take. We all have a next step to take. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, no matter it, he can fix anything and everything if you'll just give him a little space. I just gave him a little room, just the tiniest room. Man, does he come in? And does he fix things completely, totally? Sozo is a word that it's a Greek word, and and, and this is what Jesus firmly came to do. And and, and I, 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 I prefaced this while ago. Sozo in the Bible is the, that's the word for saved, but it also means save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, make whole, and keep safe and sound. Make whole. If there's something in your life right now and you're not made whole, if there's room in your life that you're not, there's wholeness is not in your life, that you keep bumping up against this thing, just like I did. I mean, like I was trying to run through brick, steel, concrete, every, I just constantly found myself in defeat. In my spiritual life, I had no idea what that was. It was constant defeat because I did not know the Jesus. I did not know the finished work when he said it's finished. When he said it's finished, he doesn't have to do a single thing more. He finished it. So, so that's where we take off from. So, so in your life, so, so see this line right here? Here's the deal. I'm on this side of the line. Jesus has not died yet. Jesus is on the cross, and he's still going, forgive him, Father, for they know that what they do. And there's a line still right there, and I can't get to the Father yet. I cannot get to Father God yet because he hasn't said it's finished. The moment, the second that he breathed his last breath and said, it's finished, I get to cross over. The veil's torn. We get to move in. We get to go places that nobody's ever gone. You get to be free. You get to go free. You get to walk in freedom and truth. You get to express yourself the way he created you to express yourself. He gave back to us what we couldn't get ourselves. He gave us back what was taken from us in the garden. Your created value came alive completely and totally. Totally alive. You get to be you. There's nobody else like you. There'll be nobody else like you, ever. You get to be you. Thank you, Jesus. You get to be you and all that he's created you to be. So it looks like this. I have to look at the clock. <laughs> so, so, so it looks like this. I took Jesus serious at his word. I took him when he said that he came to set captives free. Isaiah 61 is, is a huge, huge thing for me because I was captive. But Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And that don't mean about your money. That means about poor in spirit. If you don't have Jesus, you're poor. You can have all the money in the world, but you don't have Jesus, you're poor. 
He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to rescue the captives, to deliver, to cut loose from chains, to open up the eyes of the blind. And it doesn't mean physical, even though he did physical healings of the blind. But there are so many people. I was walking around completely blind. I could see you. I could mistreat you. But man, when he began to open up my eyes and I could really see, and I could see in spiritual ways that I'd never seen before, and I get to see. I don't have to see. He doesn't have to let me see, but I get to see. I want the next things of the Lord. Lord, what are you going to do in my life next? What are you going to show me next? Where do you want to take me next? Where do you want to lead me next? What do you want to do in my life next? I want the next journey with him. I want the next step with him. I want all my grandchildren to serve him. See, my lineage was going down. I was leading my children and my grandchildren to a grave just like my parents. But he changed me. And it wasn't long. There, my, my wife and my children and there's people all around and they're sitting in a church. They're coming to church because they're just going, oh my gosh, if the Lord can change him, there must be something to this. And they're coming. Because he changed my heart. He changed my heart. And he wants to change yours to the next step, to the next level, to the next journey. What is it that he wants for you? What is it that you need to let go of? Is there any unforgiveness? Any? I'm talking about, Lord, open up their eyes to see if there's any unforgiveness in their heart. Any. You have to forgive. You have to let go. And, and this, is what I, this, is what, this is what I thought about forgiveness when they first started telling me is, is that when, when, when I forgive, that means what that guy and that guy and that guy and my dad and anybody else, it means that that's okay that they did that. That's what I thought. What a lie. It's not okay that they did that. And the Lord's going to have his way with them. But in the meantime, in unforgiveness, the enemy was having his way with me because I was shackled. I was chained. What they did chained me. So all I said was, Lord, if this is absolutely true that I have to forgive, then I want to forgive everybody of everything, all of it. I want it to go. I want to be free. And he did that. And I got loose. I've never been chained again. I'll never be chained again. Because I know the truth. If you follow my commandments, if you hold to my teachings, this is what the word says. If you follow my commandments and you hold to my teachings, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Because just when you say, well, see, I've heard it preached. Well, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, there's something in front of that that you need to know. Hold to my teachings. And it says you got to forgive. Keep my commandments means you got to love. Whew, those guys, you mean those guys that did that to me, I got to love them? Okay. That's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. But I promise you this, if they were sitting here today... I want them to know Jesus just as much as I do because I bet you this, this is what the Lord's helped me realize, I bet you they went through the same thing that they did to me. 
and it was a vicious cycle that the enemy has going on in their life. And it goes back, and it goes back, and it goes back, and it goes back. Because the sins of the Father fall, and they keep falling, and they keep falling. And everybody needs Jesus. Amen. Everybody needs Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. If there's anything that you need in your life today, if there's any unforgiveness in your life today, Lord, how do you want to do this? If anybody needs Jesus at a deeper level in their life today, would you stand up? If anybody needs some forgiveness, if there's any unforgiveness in your life today and you want to get unchained, would you stand up? If there's anybody in here that is on the run, that you just feel like you're constantly running, that there's no peace in your life, that there's these moments, these glimpses, these tastes that you wish you could just hold on to, but you want to get this off of you today and you want to look the enemy in the eye and tell him no more. No more. Would you stand up? If there's anything that needs to be healed in your heart, like the loss of somebody, the loss of something, something that you mourn constantly, it's, it's actually a spirit and it has to do with abnormal grief and mourning. It's a spirit of heaviness. If you carry a spirit of heaviness for something that you just can't seem to let go of or you're rocking along doing good and all of a sudden the enemy just comes in like a flood and it says when he comes in like a flood, that means he can. And when he comes in like a flood, you get in that heavy again and you go back to this old thing that you go to and that you don't want to go to, but you do it for comfort to get you out of that heaviness. Would you stand up? If there's anxiety and fear, if there's a tremendous amount of fear in your life that you're afraid of so many things, you're afraid of what people are going to think, you're afraid of what people are going to do. You're afraid of this loss or that loss. You're afraid of stepping out. That's called the spirit of fear. And God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And any time in your life that you're not operating in power, love, and a sound mind, you're under the influence of a spirit of fear. If, you, if you're operating in that and you want to get rid of that, you don't want to walk in that anymore. Would you stand up? If you have pornography in your life, lust, that's a spirit of whoredom. And if that's something that you go to and you don't know why and you've told yourself a thousand times that you're never going to go to that again, you're not going to do that again, you're not going to look at that again, that has no place in my life, but the next thing you know, you're, doing, you're there again. 
and you want to get rid of that, would you stand up? There's one more. It's a spirit of haughtiness. And it has to do with anger and rage. I didn't tell you that I laid in bed most of most nights from about the time I was 11 years old waiting for my dad to start snoring and asking myself, is this the night I go in and kill my dad? That was every night. Every night. I laid there waiting and asking, Lord, is this the night that I get him out of my life? That was a spirit. It was trying to influence me to do that. And the only reason why I didn't is I was afraid that my dad would wake up and catch me in his room. And that's one place that you did not go was in my dad's room. Because I knew what he would do if he caught me there. Because he would know why I was in that room. spoke a while ago it's not that's not a spirit of haughtiness that's, that's a spirit of jealousy I want to get this right spirit of je- jealousy has to do with anger rage wrath murder it has to do with competition it has to do with 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 being opposed to God it has to do with what he when you know he's telling you to do something one way and you do it another I don't know about you, but I don't want to be opposed to God anymore. I want to be a son. I don't want to wake up in need of of my wife to fulfill my needs. I want to wake up a son. Every morning when I wake up, I wake up a son. I don't wake up in need of him to speak a certain thing or do a certain thing or be a certain thing or act a certain way for me to respond in the right way. It's like I woke up a son, and I love Jesus. And Kim just gets to be Kim. She's off the hook. She doesn't have to perform like a show pony. She just gets to be her. So I'm going to pray for you. God, I believe that you're in this room. I believe you came in with us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Touch what needs to be touched. Heal what needs to be healed. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for all that you've done. When you said it's finished, you meant it. And it's finished. It's complete. It's whole. It's done. And we get to run from there. Enemy, I take authority over you in Jesus' name. You no longer get to torment you no longer get a voice. You no longer, you no longer get the pleasure of mishandling the Lord's people. You have to turn them loose and go now in Jesus' name. They no longer bend to you. They no longer perform for you. They no longer get to get, uh, just cow in the corner because of you, because of what you're saying, because of what you've done over them in their life. Turn them loose and set them free.
they get to go free today because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he did. Lord, I love you. Lord, I pray, pray that you bring peace in lives, that you restore relationships, that you make people whole. You keep them safe and you make them whole, completely whole in Jesus' name. Everything gone that doesn't belong there and everything good, Lord, you're good. It's your goodness and it's your kindness and it's your great love for us that turns us towards you because you're powerful and you're mighty. We love you, Lord. We're here today because of Father's Day and you're a good father. You're the best father. You truly are the only father that you do good things for your children. You don't leave us in a pit, but you pull us up and you send us out to do what you call us to do because you have a plan for our life that we would walk boldly and courageously wherever you call us to be and to do what you say, to be what you've called us to be, to say what you tell us to say, to go where you tell us to go, that we don't hesitate between two opinions, that we move quickly and boldly to be and to do because you say, Lord, we love you. We love you. There's such unity in this room. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a good daddy. Thank you for being a good daddy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.